Welcome to the Antler Archives, brought to you by White Rock Performance Gear. Quality, performance, and style. Hoodle Lifestyle. Hunt harder, go further, stay longer. Wapiti River Outdoors. Share our passion. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Antler Archive podcast. Uh, tonight, you have myself, Brian, Dylan, and Craig. Uh, tonight's episode, we're going to be covering predator hunting. I believe mainly sticking to the topic of coyote hunting, coyote sets. Uh, probably dive into coyote guns, calling tactics, that kind of thing. Um, how's it going, guys? It's going pretty good. How's it going with you, Pretty Craig? good, not so bad. Have you shot any coyotes this year, Craig? Uh, no, I've successfully shot at one. Um, it didn't go very well at over 400 yards on a run. Uh, my aim isn't as fast nor as good as it used to be. So I got a question for you. you yeah. successfully shot at one. You, <laughs> yeah. You call pulling the tr- trigger a success. Hey, it was there. I had it in my sights. I squeezed the trigger. That part of it was successful. I did everything right except for making the bullet go where it needed to. The gun went boom, so it was a success. Yeah, everything on that side worked properly. You got the itch away from the finger. Yeah. yeah. Well, you got you guys know I've been talking about shooting coyotes all winter. And I finally did, and I missed, and it, you know, it is what it is. Okay, so we'll put it this way. I can count on one hand how many coyotes I've shot in a lifetime. Brian, how many coyotes have you shot in total, probably? Like, guesstimate. Uh, I would say 12 to 18. That's not too bad. Guessing. Craig? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't want to overshoot it, so I'm going to say probably just shy of 500. It's pretty good. Yeah, that's so. Pretty... Craig, I remember from talking to you beforehand, before we even started this whole podcast, we were, we've talked a few times about predator hunting, and you used to say that you used to help out with a coyote derby. Yeah, it uh, it started in twenty. I want to say 2013, maybe 2014. It kind of just started as a bunch of buddies getting together. Um, And I don't want to make it sound like it was one of the big two or three day tournaments where they do down in the States and you end up with a hundred coyotes in a pile. It, uh, it kind of took off for a bit. And then the people that we don't want involved in our world got involved and it slowed down uh drastically i think it went from somewhere like 40 teams a two the first two years down to like eight teams on the third year so uh yeah it it got real big it was in the media for a while for that for that year too um so we kind of pulled the pin dialed it back uh, and it's now turned into uh, just a bunch of buddies that are usually there like 12 guys kind of get around and there's a cash 
cash prize at the end of it with a bunch of goodies and stuff that get handed out and it turned it's just kind of turned into like a really good day that sounds like a good time yeah it usually is like last year um we had eight teams i want to say there was 12 coyotes shot in the day it wasn't a good day for calling the wind wasn't good uh it was super warm um the coyotes weren't responding properly or as they should, I guess I should, I should put it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was good. This is the first year I actually haven't been involved in it, which kind of sucks, but you know, farm life, kid life work kind of has put a damper in a lot of things. That happens. I know up here they do a coyote derby every single year. And from what I know, it's pretty, pretty big actually. There's quite a few teams that get entered. I know there's like there's a prize for biggest coyote shot, most coyotes shot, and then obviously the least amount shot. And then your average door prizes throughout the whole thing. But from what I know, like I start seeing the entry like the sign up letter going around, oh, I wanna say November. Holy. Yeah. It's a, it's a select crowd where they take the coyote hunting pretty seriously, which rightfully so. You want to protect all your deer herds. And yeah. lots of people that do hunt coyotes big are big-time deer hunters. That's what I found, too. And, like, every time I've shot a coyote, it's, it's been out deer hunting. <laughs> except for the one last a couple of years ago that was moose hunting but <laughs> that's how i end up getting most of mine to deer hunting this year i shot uh two sitting out of one stand i shot one i hadn't been in the stand probably 15 20 minutes i shot one and decided to sit there the rest of the time and right before dark here come another one strolling along so it got it too <laughs> Hey, that's how we broke the ice in 2019. That's right. That had to have been the dumbest coyote ever. Oh, yes. <laughs> Even I could have shot that one. A hundred yards away from it. And we were driving back to Elite Park and uh, Farmer's Field. There was a coyote sitting out in it that I had permission in. And... Uh, we were 100 yards away from it before we seen it, and it just sat there. So I got out of the truck, grabbed the gun. Dylan got out of the truck, grabbed the video camera, started videoing. I said, are you on him? Yep. Sure enough, boom. Down he went. He never never moved at all. Probably a minute. Yeah. But a little background on that. So Brian and I have been hunting together for oh, quite a few years before that. Never shot a thing together. No. And we always kept joking. We need a coyote to sit in front of us and shoot something just to break the ice. And sure enough, shot that coyote that day. Next day, Brian shoots his biggest whitetail. Yep. I find that shooting a coyote takes the edge off for the entire season if you can shoot a coyote in the first few days. I 100% agree with that. When I 
first started bow hunting, I would shoot a doe the first couple days every year just to get that edge away. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I shot something. I'm happy now. Got the itch away from the finger. And then you're, you feel comfortable the rest of the year. Whether it's a doe, coyote, you just want to shoot something, a little buck, whatever. It's like that first thing in the year. Well, last year, last year when I was after that big whitetail, I remember texting you from the stand, Dylan, and I'm like, I'm I'm already in doe mode, and it was day two, and a coyote came out on day three at ten yards, and I smoked him in the head with an arrow, and I was like, okay, now I don't need to shoot a doe because because I got my trigger finger dirty, and I'm happy and I'm content. I mean, that was pretty sweet, and that was also a really dumb coyote, but I mean, it worked <laughs> I to my advantage. Because I remember you texting me, like, oh, there's a couple does in front of me, and I'm like, oh, just hold hold tight, hold tight. And then the next day, you're like, there you go. I shot a coyote. I'm good. We yep. Big boy now. Problem yeah. solved. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're calling coyotes, Craig, do yeah. you use electronic calls or – hand calls well, uh, i've used i've used a mix of everything um <clears throat> when i first started i actually used a piece of swamp grass because i was too broke to afford calls <laughs> um they sound okay they're hard to use i mean you're just pinching a piece of swamp grass in between your thumbs it's really hard to get the sound out as far as you want i switched to um what was i using I was using a Fox Pro Wildfire for probably six years until it just gave out on me on a hunt one day, and that was it. And since then, I kind of abandoned the electronic calls because there's so many issues with them between, you know, temperatures, they freeze up, they seize up, the batteries die, the sound doesn't work, the radio or the, the box doesn't match up with the remote. End of the day, I've got four or five calls I rely on in my pocket. And if one freezes up, I just grab a different one. Hmm. So I've, I've used them all. Um, I was on Les Johnson's Pro Staff for a while. And I've used all his. And I'm, use, I'm running custom calls now. So everything I get is handmade out of the States. Have you ever tried with a mouth read? Yeah, I got a bunch of reads too. Um, who makes them? It'll it'll come to me. Johnny Stewart is the mouth reads I use specifically. Um, the canine and the pup distress one I find work the best because you can get a mix of sounds out of them. So now that you've you've used a couple elk reads and a couple. Yeah. Coyote re- or predator reads. Do you see a difference? Uh, like just kind of in the latex. Do they put the latex together differently, or is there any difference between the reads? The latex is put together a little bit different. Um, it's a little softer. Like there's a lot more sound fluctuation in it. In, in a predator read, just because the latex in the middle is a lot more, uh, well, it's thinner. So 
in comparison, they're easier to blow, but you need to know how to blow them properly. And compared to um, an elk reed, for example, like one of ours, I find that the first time I used it, I was bugling within an hour. And it took me probably a week and a half to figure out a predator read just because the sound variation is so different. So with the predator reads, a single latex or double latex? You can get both. What did you use? Uh, I've got both. Oh. (laughs) It's just just like you for elk hunting. You would would carry, you carry more than one read. Oh, no, definitely. Bull and... uh... Reaper and yep. Patriot. You never know. I've just, I've personally never seen a mouth. I know they're round. I've just never actually seen a mouth read predator call. I've never I'll see if I can find one. it. I have a, I have I'm a bagger. The mask and it's just, I know with elk reads, different latexes mean make different sounds, right? Yeah. So I was just kind of wondering, like how how you notice a predator read compared to an elk read, and it almost sounds it makes sense because it sounds like a lighter latex. So it is, yeah. It's like on on the elk reeds, there's the pressed dome in the middle. Yeah. These these ones, the latex is stretched and then pinched, so there's no dome. It's just a flat reed. Okay, so yeah. It's, yeah, so instead of adding the dome, it's you got the same frame and everything, just no dome. Yeah, which is why it makes it harder because you got to press it in your mouth a little bit differently. And for me, like, I've got kind of, I don't want to say I have a big mouth, but I have a wide tooth structure, so it's harder to get a reed to sit in the roof of my mouth. And the predator reeds, because I need so much up pressure from my trunk, my tongue to push, once I get the pressure, the sound's easy to come out versus an elk reed. I don't need a ton of pressure to push, if that makes sense. It makes 100% sense, and I well, know exactly why it makes sense. That's the reason why they put the domes on the elk calls. Yes. There you go. So that dome, it goes against the roof of your mouth. It helps position it a lot better, and you don't have to put as much pressure on that latex to get that air movement in there to make the sound where with no dome you have to play the roof of your mouth is that dome is the dome yeah and you have to it has to be positioned 100 percent perfect every single time which it's hard to do and that tongue pressure has to be perfect every single time where yeah. a dome yes they're easier to use they help hide mistakes sometimes but at the same time, if you're if you if you're not a good caller, you're you're gonna know some mistakes to put it bluntly, right? <laughs> yeah. I'd be curious to see like Wapiti Rivers Frolicker or uh, Morning Sunrise, something like that for a coyote. I mean, I me and you both, Dylan, can coyote howl on an elk reed but curious to put like one of those lighter latex calls against craig calling with his coyote calls just to see what the difference would be oh 100 and it's like 
I've never coyote called before, so I I know how to howl on a reed. And like same with you, Brian, you know how to howl on a reed, but what do you do for your normal calling? Like on a reed, Craig, do you howl or do you do like a like a distress? Oh, that's a heavy question. <laughs> Later on us, buddy. It depends on a lot of things. Um one, the time of year is pretty crucial on how I call and what sounds I use. The location I'm calling in changes my call. I won't usually run a distress call on a read, on an e-call, or on a hand call. Uh, usually until like kind of the end of January, to be honest. Um, howling, I try and stay away from until mid to late december okay Uh, so i'm gonna make this a little bit easier for you okay yeah do that (laughs) december 1st we're done whitetail hunting and everything we're yeah not done hunting we want to go coyote hunting starting december 1st what are you going to do at the start of coyote season how's Um, your setup gonna go well kind of goes a couple ways if if I got a landowner, I used to work with a lot of landowners almost on a professional level. Um, but if they got a problem, that's where I go first, usually a feedlot or anything like that. Those ones are easy because typically you don't really have to call. You can just see them on site kind of thing. So there's, there's that way to go about it. Um, usually December is kind of when I start scouting almost no different than i do with deer um i used to scout almost as heavily for coyotes as i did for deer back in i hate to say back in the day but back in the day um my first first week of december sets they'll vary um usually i stick to if i'm gonna howl it's just gonna be like a locator howl just to see who's around if i get anything that time of year I'll stay put and I usually turn that locator into um, a distress call, whether that be a jackrabbit or a cottontail, even go as far as birds in distress. And I'll kind of stick with that. I used to do a, a combination and it almost worked like clockwork. I would go in, I'd do a challenge howl, I'd do a rabbit in distress, and then I'd throw, if I, when I was running my e collar, I'd throw, um, like a crow fight into it. And I'd repeat that cycle every five minutes for a minute and a half. And within 15 minutes, I'd see something coming in. And it, okay. it, it tends to kind of mimic uh, like a coyote sees something in distress. The distressed animal sees the coyote, starts screaming. The coyote takes down the animal in distress. And now there's crows flocking to it to come and eat. That's that's like a perfectly put together. So you have a scenario that you're sitting out there and you're in, intimidating, or yeah, I, I build everything step by step. And if one sound doesn't work, I try not to um, recreate repetitive sounds within a three week period because I'd overhunt certain places on purpose, and it's not to wise in the coyotes per se 
but it would give me a lot of insight as to what's still there. Cause by on stat, uh, one coyote kills 19 deer a year on paper is, is the average thing everybody says, but for yeah. every one coyote you shoot, you gain four in that same spot the next year. So taking coyotes out is uh, almost like a science and you have to do it very specifically as to where you're doing it. hundred percent. And like it goes, that goes for not just coyotes, but like cougars, wolves, everywhere. So like every, everything in the predator species kind of operates in the same numbers. Oh, a hundred percent. It does. And like coming from, so like, I don't, I don't coyote hunt at all where I live it's very hard to do you pretty much have to see them and then shoot them on site yeah uh but from just hearing you talk about your setups they're very similar to elk hunting setups it's exactly what I was thinking so you want to you want to build it up you want to start with like I'll just give an example like there's a couple cows around a wallow they're just chirping to each other Next thing you know, a bull walks in. He's like, oh, hey, ladies, how's it going? And he starts showing off for for ladies. They're going. He's going. And the more you go, the more excitement you get into your calling scenarios. And then next thing you know, you have other elk or, in your situation, other coyotes coming in to check you out. Yeah. And then there you go. And they got that. That's up on you to... to, uh, put the bullet or arrow into that elk or coyote yeah and if if you're using the the more expensive fox pro for example um they have a what the hell is it called now fox bang built into it so you set your sound you do your distress calls or whatever your sequence is the second it senses a gunshot it turns into a uh, coyote in distress yelping sequence so that's kind of beneficial on its own. I mean, it's a little harder to run that scenario when you're running reeds and handballs, but they're very easy to mimic the same style. Technology. Do you, <laughs> do you find that after a gunshot, you'll continue to bring in more dogs? Oh, yeah, I've definitely done it. Yeah. Uh-huh. I usually, before Fox Bang was around, um, if I was hunting with somebody else, they'd have a distress call. Like when I, when I hunt solo, I have my hand call. And then once I see a coyote, I pop a, a distress read in my mouth. So that as soon as I shoot, I start squealing. And mm-hmm. typically, unless there's been two coyotes that come in on a string, you shoot one and run one runs. If it's only a single coyote, there's a good chance you'll get another one come in to check out what just happened. Huh. That's crazy. Ish- issues with sounds like I I teach a wildlife bear safety course at work all the time, and I always talk about um, what do they call those sound deterrents, right? Like noise deterrents, and uh, you got the 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 bear crackers or the whistles and all that stuff. If I, if I set a sound on an e-collar and let's say I, I just stick with a cotton tail in distress and I use that sound in location A on week one and I see a coyote, I shoot and I miss it. Well, I just sensitize that coyote 
to associate that sound followed by a gunshot. So if I hit it and I wound it, it's never coming back to that sound. So any if I overhunt areas, I'm never playing the same sound within a one-month period because I don't want them getting used to it. And with that too, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I know elk, every elk sounds different. Every yeah. cow, every calf, every bull, they have their own sounds. I'm yeah. assuming it would be the same with coyotes. Every no coyote different. has their own their own voice just like it's, so it's if, no different if you get like like i got four dogs right i know their yep. barks in the dark exactly each each one has its own and no coyote has the exact same sound different exactly. pitches different so volume if, so if hank joe and bob are hanging out in the field and that's where they live and then freddie comes along starts calling and they're like whoa who's this new dog out here and they come check it out well, you get Hank and Bob, and Joe is the lucky one running away. He's uh, he's gonna remember Freddie. Yeah, gonna and, come back the next couple days. Those are good scenarios for late January. So if you if you're running an e-collar, for example, it's it's harder to do on a hand call. It's doable. Um, but if you're running an e-collar, like late January is where they start their estrus period. So end of January to early mid-March. If you if you run into a location, I always do a, uh, a locator howl, and then I'll throw out some challenge barks. If I do a male, I'll typically get another male. If I get a female, typically I'll get a male come in. So a female coyote will give a challenge bark when she's in heat. So typically if I go into spot A, I'll do a locate. If I don't get anything, I'll just go into a couple female challenge barks. And then there's a good chance I'm going to get a male responding pretty quickly because they're pretty, they get pretty hot and heavy by the end of January, first week of February. So, oh, sorry, go ahead, Brian. Oh, no, go ahead. So if you're going in the end of January, like you said, that's usually when their rut is. Yeah. Um, would you do breeding sequences? Yeah, you can. Um, I don't find them as effective as just straight up challenge barks because what they're doing is a new coyote's coming into an area to see what's there. No different than a deer in the rut, right? Um, they go quarter to quarter seeing who's there. The same thing with coyotes. They'll bark, see who's around. And then if coyote A barks and coyote B responds at a quarter mile, Coyote B is going to try and close that distance. That is the time where I kind of start moving. Early season, I stay, I sit, I'll sit for 40 minutes if I need to. In January, as soon as I get a response, I move towards it. The reason for that is I want to mimic that coyote entering the other coyote's territory in hopes that it's going to come to me pissed off. Okay, so it's sense. not always, it makes complete sense so that's not always coyote hunting isn't always a sit and wait game just sit toss your collar out and wait in later yeah and, and everybody makes that mistake right like i've i used to teach seminars at cabela's all the time and i'd have the same question come up late season i can't get coyotes to commit they come into 300 yards and they stay just out of shot range or like at the other end of the quarter i see them they sit down and they just look at me 
that's because at that point they're not sensing a threat from that other coyote that you're pretending to be. As long as you stay on their border, they got no problem with you, right? Exactly, because they obviously have their own area. It's basically like a satellite bull and a herd bull. The herd bull is not going to leave his cows to run off a satellite bull that's 300 yards away. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so yeah, so with coyotes, you want to be you want to be aggressive. You want to be you want to challenge bark. You hear one back there, and you're like, okay, I'm going there. And then you obviously want your land to be proper too, right? Like you don't want to be thick walking through a section of thick brush to get to them because obviously you're gonna end up running into each other in the thick stuff most likely. If you're doing that, carry a shotgun. I, I I used to rifle and shotgun almost every set. Just for that, if you if you have to move. Well, yeah, and sometimes you get a coyote on a string. Like I remember, we had one. We were sitting in a junkyard, and I was sitting on top of the hood of a car, and I have my shotgun over my feet and my rifle on a tripod, and that coyote came in like a freight train, and I dropped him at nine yards. Uh, like he, he saw me sit up in everything. Have you ever tried archery hunting one? <laughs> yeah, and I failed. The only time I've had success is last year in the tree. You've never called one in to shoot one in with a bow? Uh, the closest we got a coyote to commit was 30 yards. It's because there's so much movement, right? True. Like I, we tried filming it a couple times and we called the coyote in. It came in on a string. Everything's working perfect. You get them in sight. And then at 30 yards, well, now I got to stand up because I don't have quite a good shot angle. Then I got to find him in my sight. Then I got to breathe, release, you know, all that. Whereas in a rifle, I'm just sitting. All I got to yeah, do is pick my do. gun up a little bit and bang. Yeah. And if you know they're coming in, you, you're pretty much ready at all times. You just all you gotta 100%. do. All you gotta do is move your head into your scope. That's right. So, have you ever thought of setting a guy up in a stand and then having a down below? Do you think that would work? Yeah, I think so. Because then the, I think the, it would be worth the attention's down on the ground. It's not up at you. Yeah. It would that. That would be exactly like elk hunting, right? Like you set your collar back, you set your hunter in front, the same kind of thing just down below and above. Makes sense. Man, I love this. The more and more we talk about it, the more and more I can just relate it to certain things <laughs> with elk hunting, and it sounds the same. I'm telling you, you get you get a collar, you go out in the bush, you'll kill a coyote, no matter where you are. Yeah, you've been telling me that. I just have to go try it. Well... <laughs> Not everybody listens to me. I know. <laughs> we would like to take this moment to thank one of our many great sponsors, White Rock Performance Gear. Whether you are hunting, fishing, or just enjoying the outdoors, they have you covered. White Rock offers tumblers for your morning coffee and jugs from 64 ounces all the way to 136 ounces. Not to mention their hard coolers. With a wide variety of sizes and colors, you will find the right size and style to fit your needs. 
I can personally tell you White Rock Performance Gear will keep your coffee hotter for longer in the mornings and your beer ice cold for in the evenings. Check out their complete lineup on all social media platforms and at whiterockpg.com. White Rock Performance Gear. Built tough, priced right, ready when you are. So what is your gun of choice then, Craig? I know you said you usually carry a shotgun and a rifle. Yeah, um, I've changed that up a couple times. I started with a two twenty three. Um, it had its pros and cons. I switched to a two twenty two. And I've been back and forth between a 222. I've used a 17. Right now I'm running a 6.5 just because I have it. Um, but aside that, 222 has been, was always my favorite coyote gun. Now I have to ask you now yeah. that you're running the 6.5, do you need more bullets when you go out? <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> I don't know. I've only shot two out of it. <laughs> but maybe at the rate i'm killing coyotes yeah maybe well i'm just kind of thinking here right like everybody loves the 6.5 jokes you got the 6.5 creedmoor brian's got the 6.5 prc we only had like five viewers let's make more 6.5 <laughs> jokes maybe we'll get more viewers maybe maybe that's all it takes hey, defacing the gun the real question then, which one out of you two, and I kind of know the answer because Brian can't grow a hair. So, Craig, are you going to grow a man bun? <laughs> Buddy, I don't have any hair. Me neither. I can grow hair everywhere except for on top of my head. Well, yeah, you have <laughs> in the back of your head, buddy. <laughs> Probably start twisting armpit hairs into buns if you really want. I could grow a skullet. There you go. <laughs> oh, <fuck. laughs> do it. Brian, do it. We're coming out. I'll I'll grow the mullet for hunting season this year. You grow the skullet. <laughs> okay, just, let's just do wear it. a hat all the time. Nobody'll know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the rat tail, right? A mullet, skullet, and the only thing I can grow that's ugly is a mustache, so you can grow a rat tail. That ain't gonna happen. <laughs> Absolutely not. So going back to coyote hunting, saying we're like squirrels and get distracted really easily. Yeah. When you're running your 223, say, and your 222, what's your max distance? Like, what's the furthest you've shot a coyote where you're 100% comfortable and you know that that dog's going down when I pull this trigger? 462 yards. That's a pretty good shot. Yeah, that was, that was with my two twenty three. Um, he was sitting; he was sitting on his haunches, and that was one of those coyotes that just kind of he piled up at at five hundred yards, and that was it. Uh, no matter what call sequence we used, and I had a guy waving his arms. We had a um, a mojo rabbit twisty going on he didn't care about that he didn't care about my buddy beside me and i said fuck it i'm gonna just walk up here until i can see him a little bit better laid down prone took a few breaths checked the wind 
the wind was good. Um, if I remember right, um, I was about half a foot above him and a little bit to the right, I want to say. And I hit him smack in the chest and he dropped. And I don't know if it was a good shot or luck was on my side. I've only killed um, four coyotes over 400. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's still yeah. pretty But so com- comfortability, I guess, to answer that question, 250 would would be a, a reasonably 100% kill shot, maybe 300 out of max. Just no more than 350. Yeah, there's too many variables in there with the light bullet, right? Yeah. Definitely, yeah, because when, when you're using a 223, what's your bullet, like 80 grains? Uh, I was running 87. Yeah, that's but that cool. that bullet head wasn't much bigger. Uh, wasn't much bigger than a 17. So I shot. I've shot two coyotes with a 17. What grain bullet did you use with a 17, and how far have you shot one? Oh, um. Whatever those, uh, whatever the gopher rounds are, those, the, um, the Hornady VMAX 17 HMR. I think they're uh, 50s. I, I think they are 50s. Yeah, because that's what I, I used to run 50, 50 are, grains. I'll go check. I, I got some. Okay. Yeah, I got some in my gun safe, but I'm afraid to move. <laughs> um, so I used to run 50 grains. 50 grain bullets on my 17 HMR. And the furthest I ever shot anything was a coyote, and it was just over 200, I think like 207 or something like that. Did and you kill it, it? Oh, yeah, it piled up. Like, wow. It dropped like it got shot with a 300. Wow. I was shocked. We were. I've, I've heard very mixed reviews of using a 17 at a distance on a coyote. I honestly think it's where I hit him. I hit him yeah. high shoulder. Oh, okay. And just from where I, I'm thinking where I hit him, high shoulder, the spine, just yeah. broke his one shoulder. He dropped down, spun around, and then I'm like, oh, okay, sweet, he's done. And I just walked through the cut block and looking, because we're deer hunting, we're driving, yeah. looking for deer. And I seen him way out in the block, rested on the hood of the truck, boom, down he went. I'm like, oh, okay. Walk up to him, and I swear it would. It looked like a 300 shot him, like blood everywhere. The hole in him was retarded. I was like, there's no way a 17 just killed this thing. Like, I used to love frontal shots, and like by frontal, I mean dead center in their chest, right at the top of their collarbone. Because hitting them there disintegrates that bone because the bone's so small. Yep. Like that was my favorite shot with the 223. That in the mouth. Uh, I got really prone to shooting in the mouth for some reason. Don't make jokes, but <laughs> I mean, I did. Um, but yeah, that frontal chest shot, you could almost stick your fist in that hole. I believe that. And that's exactly what that shoulder one did with me at that at 200 yards. 
It's like yeah. the shoulder blade just exploded, and I, you could fit your fist in it. It's like holy I crap. think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they don't have much meat on them. There's barely any fat, and their hide is super, super thin. Yeah. So as soon as you hit bone, it just explodes. Oh, exactly, and that's why I kind of chuckle because, like, I see people on the Facebook groups, and I'm just gonna toss it out there: Alberta hunting addicts. And uh, everybody asks, like, there's new guys out there. Hey, I got a 17 HMR or whatever, bought it for target shooting to practice or whatever. Yeah. Is it good enough for coyotes? Then you always have these guys, no, don't shoot that. You know what? It can kill a coyote. Shoot a coyote with it. Shot placement. Know your know your distance. It's the yep. same argument with the 6.5 Creedmoor and elk or moose. I yep. have personally watched my buddy shoot an elk with a 6.5 Creedmoor at 80 yards. He's not going to shoot one over 300. He knows his gun's got a smaller bullet. Yep. Same with me with a 270 short mag using 145 grain bullets. And honestly, I load mine with less powder than factory because it shoots accurate. Yeah. Well, like my my brother uh he switched his coyote gun to a 30-06 and everybody thought he was absolutely fucking nuts because we were shooting for fur uh, and they're like you're gonna have no fur left but he switched to a full metal jacket 90 grain and they were like pinholes entrance and exit it's because it's an absolute solid bullet it's not gonna do nothing on a coyote shoulder oh yeah even even through the shoulder like your normal shot placement on a shoulder with a uh what kind of bullet um like a v-max yeah like a like a v-max shooting out of the 223 it hits it hits bone it's meant to expand exactly right? it's a soft call or, or an acubond even but yep. then you switch to a full metal jacket well there's no expansion and the speed that it's coming out, especially at like 150 yards, like there's nothing stopping that thing on a coyote. Right. Exactly. And that's why. So that brings up another rabbit hole bullets. Yeah. So I got lots of people that love barns. Yeah. I got nothing against them. I've never shot them. Not going to. Had a couple people tell me barns are really solid bullets. They're really hard. I don't have a gun that shoots fast enough to do the job that it's going to do when it hits bone. My my gun's going to send it straight through that deer, elk, whatever. And it's just going to be a pinhole. Yep. And it's not going to leave any blood. It might run forever. It might not run forever. But if it does run forever, I'm not going to know. I'm not going to be able to find it because it's not going to leave any blood. I've had a a close friend shoot a cow elk with a Barnes bullet out of a 257. And it went a kilometer before he found it. He got lucky that he found it. He searched for a day and a half. Proper temperatures. It was in late November when he shot it. So you know it's going to be good because it's cold out. But he searched that whole section, and then they ended up grid searching it. 
And yeah, walking wise, where it went in and where he found it on that day was a kilometer. Oh. And there's no blood. He could have reseeded that bullet in the casing. You know, now that now that you say that, well, two fifty seven is a big gun too. Not really, though. Well, it's not all that big. I've I shot a mule deer with a two fifty seven, and I don't know. I was using the hand load, so it may be different. But I punched a hole through that thing that I could fit a big pen through. Both sides. It could have been the bullet you were shooting, though, too, right? Maybe, like, but like there wasn't said. a drop of blood. And like I, I flattened him, and he got up and ran 150 ish yards. Not a drop of blood. I'm lucky I saw where he fell. Because that buddy that shoots at 257, he shoots it for everything elk, moose, everything. Oh, yeah, he it's went, a good guy. He went over to Africa and he wanted to take it with him, but minimum, minimum size there is a 270. He couldn't take the 257 with him. Yeah. So. But no, I think it's all it's all bullet. Like, bullet and shot placement for sure. Oh, hundred percent shot placement. I, I mean, like like you said uh, that that page who who we've named, they bitch and complain and moan all the time. It's all shot placement, man. Oh, it is. You you can kill anything as long as you shoot it in the right spot. I mean, take that to archery hunting. Yeah, exactly. You shoot an arrow through an elk. Well, you could have a shot that you think is absolutely perfect, and it's not. You don't find that animal. Yeah. You get one lung. The odds of you finding an animal on one lung are 50-50. Yes. And that's if you take the proper time sitting out and you don't push it. Or you could have a nut, you could shoot a perfect broadside, hit the exact same spot on a slightly different angle and hit double lung. Done within 60 yards. Yep. And then you go into the broadhead weight and arrow weight and all that rabbit hole. And I don't even want to get started on that. <laughs> same, th- same thing with coyotes, except when you're shooting them broadside at 300 yards, you're only shooting at, well, when you skin a coyote, I don't know if you skinned a coyote, yep. but when you skin a coyote, there's only uh, 10 inches of meat. Their vitals the size of a pop can, maybe a little bigger. Exactly. So what did you find on your bullet size there, Brian? So Hornady VMAX 17 HMR is only 17 grains. 17? Yeah. At least the box I have. Not saying they're all 17 grains, but... I'll check check mine after. I might be thinking wrong. I might have been thinking 20 grain nut. I thought that they made a 21 grain as well. That might be it. And I've got a couple boxes of CCI. They're 16 grains. And the Hornady VMAX was 17 grains. That kind of makes sense. I mean, it's been almost 10 years since I've had a 17 HMR, but it makes sense. 50 grains now thinking about it seems kind of big. My 17 is the only gun I haven't committed to selling yet. Well, it's because they're so much fun. I know. The 6.5 need more? Well, you see, 
Brian, I sold all my guns to buy to buy archery shit. Uh, and I had that moose tag and my buddy's like, hey, take my gun and then go shoot coyotes with it. So moose season came and went and coyote season's almost come and gone through and I fired two bullets out of it and missed. So <laughs> uh, That sounds like a great time. I don't know if that's a me thing or a gun thing or I just don't have time. I don't know. One, uh, one pretty- of the above. I'm going to say it's a gun because from what I know, you don't have the time to drink some chai lattes and uh, grow man buns. So I'm going to blame yeah. the gun. Yeah, zing. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, that's. It's crazy how you start talking about one animal and then you can relate it to other animals. Like. Oh, yeah, we're, we're way out in left field now. 100% we are. Uh, but hey, it goes with the topic because you talk about coyotes early season, you're pretty much putting it as hey, I just got this rabbit. These crows are hanging around. I don't like the crows. It's going to attract other people. Or other coyotes, sorry. You look, yeah. you look at elk, you got some cows talking, hanging out. It attracts a bull. A bull comes in starts chuckling and showing off and raking some trees that attracts other bulls because he's like hey he has cows over there and he comes in it's kind of it the scenario same thing yeah i see where you're going oh yeah they definitely do i i see a lot of the similarities and it's a lot of knowing what calls to use when you're speaking their language. You're not just going out there, throwing some calls out and hoping that it works. If you want to be successful, you have to understand their language. It, it, it took me a very long time and a lot of, oh man, hundreds of unsuccessful stands to figure out that speaking is the number one thing. Yeah. Right. But that's it's, a lot of it with they, everybody. Oh. Like, you look at Travis, for example. He didn't get the way he is now just by going out and casually elk hunting. Right. He went out there and learned it. He re- he took notes on every single failed attempt and every single successful attempt. Yeah. And he put that together, and now he's got this giant playbook, and he's like, oh, this bull's doing this. You need to do this. Yeah. This, bull, this bull's acting like this. Okay, do this. Hey, you want to get this bull to commit to this? Give him this. Yeah. Same thing with same thing with what you did with coyotes. That coyote hangs up hangs up at three hundred yards. Well, you want to get him closer? Well, we'll try this. Oh, that didn't work. Okay, we'll try this. Oh, there it is. He's coming in. Yeah. And there there's lots of that, and you you listen to new guys or even even seasoned guys. Everybody usually has the same problem at some point. But doing, like, the elk thing's very similar. Uh, well, everything's similar. If one guy doesn't know, somebody will, right? Yeah. That's, that was the biggest thing I noticed when I was teaching at Cabela's, where one guy says one thing, the guy sitting beside him has an answer but doesn't know the other thing. Well, I know that piece, but you just taught me something else at the same time. So well, the next time I'm going to go out and I'm going to try it. And that's just it. And, like, I keep speaking from elk because that's what I have experience in. 
like going yeah. to seminars when Travis and I do seminars, there's lots of stuff we learn from these seminars. And it's like, Hey, you ask a question, somebody says something, somebody says another thing. It's like, Whoa, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Or somebody asks you a question, you give an answer. And then they're like, well, what if you were to do this? And it's like, Whoa, there's a good curveball. Yep. <laughs> right. Like, Brian and I have called in elk and I've talked to Travis beforehand. He's like, Whoa, I've never had an elk say that. Like, how did you respond? And then it just goes on a big rabbit hole again. And it's like, well, I did this. Okay. Well, frick, I wonder what would happen if you did this. And it's just a nonstop and same with coyotes, right? Like that's why I asked, like, do you do breeding sequences? Well, no, I don't. Yeah, I know, like, back to that, I know guys that do it, and I don't want to say they're 100% successful because nobody is, but I know guys that do it, and I know guys that have it work on a regular basis. I've never seen um, too big of a reason for me to try to repeat it because for me, where I hunt, it doesn't work. Well, that's just it. Why would you do that when it doesn't work? You when you do what you do and it works. Yeah. It's the same as me going and taking my elk tag or we'll go vice versa. We'll say Joe Blow from Montana coming up to Alberta and taking his elk hunting tactics and using it in Alberta. Yeah. Not saying they're not gonna work. But if you call like you do when you have the giant population of elk down in Montana, it's not necessarily going to work right away. Right. Because we have such a small population, right? Mm -hmm. And where coyotes were, that's where I found it interesting, like how you said, how I challenge bark all the time. Well, for me, elk hunting, I wouldn't challenge beagle. Right. Because if I screw up that one bull, well, now I'm searching I'm searching quite a ways for another bull because there's not as many. Yeah. Coyotes, there's tons of coyotes around. So you challenge bark one coyote, it doesn't like it. Well, another coyote within that quarter is going to like it. Yeah. Well, and, and the fun thing with coyotes too, and I don't want to say I overkilled them because that's not true at all. But like coyotes, you can hunt all year round. So in saying that, what I do in December is not going to work in March. And it's absolutely not going to work in June, right? And I've taken coyotes all the way from, well, year round. Um, But like the end of the breeding cycle is March. Call it the first week of March, give or take a week. Um, March, April, June, the pups are usually out in June-ish. Uh, you start doing like pup in distress calls, you'll kill, you'll kill the bitch 90% of the time because she's in protective mode, right? And it's the same thing relatable to if you take an elk and you put yourself in between the herd bull and his herd, well, now you're going to piss him off, right? Because he's in protective oh, mode. So to put that in the perfect perspective, you do say your sequence where a coyote takes down 
a deer, say. Mm-hmm. Just say a deer. You got these curls going around, and then you do a pup in, dispre- in distress. Yep. Or in distress, sorry. Well, now you have that mom being like, whoa, what the heck? Why is my pup in trouble? Yeah, and you can you can play that one to further what you said. You can use that one in the winter too, not just in a pup scenario, right? Because if think think about it as coyote takes down deer, now I can use like a, a dominant coyote sound and a deer in distress. And then if I want to throw more coyote vocals into it. Well, what do coyotes do or wolves do when they're in together eating something? They fight, they yip, they yelp, they they cry. Throw yep. that into it. And now that's simulating there's an animal down, there's a pack of coyotes, for example, or even two fighting over a deer. Well, obviously there's an animal down and there's a fight happening because of it. Perfect time for another coyote to come in. Exactly. Right? So all of these scenarios you can add to it or take away from the same, same thing with elk, right? Like you start one thing, one thing doesn't work. Well, screw it. I'm not going to change anything, but I'm going to add something to it. Well, exactly. Because you always have to add, you can't take away and restart almost. Right. So like I'm do so what I do lots is I do a bull advertising sequence. I start out with a bull because you can always add to that easily. Sure. I'm not going to go do a cow cow sound right away. I'll do a calf. Reason for that, you do a calf. Okay. You go to a bar when you're 19, 20 years old. Here's this 18-year-old shows up. What are you going to go for? The old 30-year-old cougar or the little 18-year-old calf, say? Well, I'm going for the cougar cougar all the time. He has more experience. (laughs) Thanks for going against me, guys. (laughs) Well, honest answer. No, but when you look into that perspective, right, that bull is going to answer to that calf 90% of the time over a cow. If that, and with that being said, too, if there's cows in that area, they're going to come to that calf, too, because they're going to be like, oh, there's a calf over there. What's my what's that calf doing over there all by itself? Yeah. You do a cow. Well, now you add into it. The cow, the bull might like the cow. The other bulls might like the cow. But that cow sitting 80 yards away from you is like, what the heck is Linda doing over there with my bull? Nuh-uh. And she takes that bull, gone. And... It's just like you go to another instance. It's just an easy way to put it. You go to the bar, Craig. Linda comes up. It's been been a long time. No, but just for example, you go to the bar. Linda comes up to you. And your wife's not going to like that. She's going to like, what is Linda doing talking to Craig? Come on, Craig. Let's go. Yeah. And she's taking you away. Well, yeah. And then... You, you mentioned challenge bark a few times and that's something that one, I can, I can dive into in part two of this, but um, the challenge bark is, is more of a distant vocal, right? Like I'm not going to do that when the coyotes are 
theoretically 15 to 50 yards apart because at that point there's no challenge it's a brawl right and that kind of ties into linda and my wife because there would be a brawl and i'd be stuck in the middle of it but um that's not a sound i overuse right i use it a few times to kind of put my foot down and say hey here i am this is what's going on go screw yourselves and then uh, once I do that three or four times, I lay off and I back off. Makes sense. Yeah, Makes hundred percent sense. For sure. So I think this might need a second part. Go into more later season, more in depth, and that. So yeah, I'm down. Late. We've been going on. What's that? An hour now? Everybody listening is probably getting bored as heck listening to us. <laughs> hey, five followers. I don't know who they are, but thanks. <laughs> yeah, thanks, guys. You've been around for the whole journey. But, so uh, we've got uh, coming up here, I guess. Um, we got part two of this, I suppose. Uh, there's Another guest, I think, lined up for the end of the month. And the crew from Olin is going to jump in with us in March at some point. So that'll be a sweet episode for everybody to look into. Uh, Stomping Ground wants to do a part two. Ryan Basham wants to do a part two. So we got a pretty good season lined up so far. And we're going to take it a little bit different. Instead of doing a whole bunch of different guests right away, we're going to kind of go do one guest. And then we're going to do an episode with ourselves. So if you want exciting podcasts to listen to, go to every second one when we're by ourselves. And then <laughs> maybe step in when we have a guest and it's going to be exciting as well. So you're going to be like, hey, I want to listen to it all. So <laughs> <laughs> They're yeah. all good, Dylan. They are. You get me and Craig going on talking about nothing. Brian's chuckle here and there. He throws in his two cents. And it's all good. It's all good. If there wasn't if there wasn't time constraints and other things to do in life, I could probably do this all day. You know what though? We're gonna get Brian going on one and he's gonna go and we're gonna have to down the stop. What do you want to get me going on? Hey We're gonna have to figure that out. We'll think turkeys. We're we got a we got an episode gonna come up. We're gonna do turkeys. Okay. This there you go. We're doing a turkey episode. We're gonna get you. And you know what? Let's make this a two guest episode. We'll get you. We'll get someone from BC and someone from the states. Okay. And we're gonna we're gonna go on turkeys, and I want to see the, just like elk. If turkeys act different in bc than they do in the states i got a bc I, I know there's guy. gonna be a lot of similarities but calling wise right yeah it would be fun to see the differences that's for sure well there we go there we have it but yeah <laughs> coming to you live from the antler archives we are out for episode 25 we'll catch you guys later <laughs>